0: Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. We're continuing on. Uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians, we go book by book, or book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Don't want to miss anything. Don't want to focus on our favorite parts and neglect some of the, the more difficult parts. Not a, not a healthy way to develop spiritual maturity. So we want to take it all in. It's all God's Word, so it's all good, right? Amen? Even the, even the hard parts that we struggle with, it's all good. So... Let me read, I'm going to be teaching today verses 1 to 15, so I like to read all of that and then have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. So follow along if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear... Lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles." Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Did I commit a sin in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what was lacking to me, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. A lot of stuff there. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, that you give Your Holy Spirit to all who will believe in You, that Spirit of holiness, that Spirit of God, to dwell within us, to teach us from within, to bring light, to bring understanding, to bring truth powerfully to, upon our hearts and minds, God. Thank You, Lord, that Your ways are, are ways of truth, Lord. We don't have to go by our feelings or by pop culture, Lord. We, we have Your unchanging Word before us. So thank you for that Father. Teach us today Lord we pray. Have your way with us Lord. In Jesus name Amen. The title of this message is Godly Leaders and Their Love for the Church and we have been following the Apostle Paul in these last chapters of 2nd Corinthians. He's backed into a corner and he has to do some things that he doesn't like to do. He has to defend himself. This is not a normal practice of the Apostle Paul. This You don't see this in all of the letters that he writes. He rarely does anything like this. But this was a severe case. And he needed to defend himself to people that were disregarding him and uh, trying to, to suggest that he was not really an authentic apostle chosen by God. And the reason that he has to defend himself is this, that if he is discredited, his message is discredited. I want to encourage you just in that right there. I could say one more thing and we could all go home. You're not going to be that lucky, but if you're a follower of Jesus, if if your reputation goes down the drain, your message goes down the drain. It takes a lifetime to build up a good reputation, and it can take one instant to ruin it. Don't ever forget that. So we all need to be very, very careful with our lives. Who we hang around with, what we do, what we put up on social media. What does the world think of you when they when they see you when they know you? What do they think of uh, what a Christian is like? What do they think of what a pastor is like when they see and know me and watch me up close or from a distance? So we want to work. You know, we work our whole lives to have a good reputation. You can ruin it in in one moment, and it doesn't. It's not that God doesn't forgive us if we should happen to have a short-lived catastrophic fall, but people aren't so forgiving, are they? Some people have just ruined their ministries and ruined their lives. They're still on their way to heaven. God loves them. They're still saved. They're still Christians. But they, they lost that ability to speak to people. So the Apostle Paul here has been forced into a corner and is having to defend himself uh, to these people. And that's really the, the whole uh, gist and the whole force behind this thing. He has to defend himself for the sake of the gospel message. So, First, verses 1 and 2, let's look there. Paul has a holy jealousy for the church. Let's just read those verses again. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. The false apostles, as we have been going through 2 Corinthians, they often boasted about themselves. And they did it, they were very, very self-promoting. That was in their heart. That was their, their methodology. Paul, that wasn't in the heart of Paul. But he's being a little bit sarcastic here with his spiritual children. He says, please forgive me. I have to brag too. Thanks for letting me brag a little. My voice inflection, of course, is not in the text, but I believe that's kind of what's going on. Please let me brag a little bit. You listen to all these other guys brags, so let me brag a little bit too. And, he's, and he calls it folly. It's kind of foolishness that I would do it, and it's kind of foolishness that I even have to. He's been appealing to them. He's been appealing and saying, you know my life. Why, why, why are you kind of letting these accusations and suggestions come into your minds and heart to undermine who I am? This is foolishness, but I guess I have to do this. And so he says, oh, that you would bear with me a little folly. Thank you that you're bearing with me a little bit of folly. Thank you that you're putting up with me. Now, the real sad part about this is that he was their spiritual father. Look at your notes, if you would. He said in a previous letter to them, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, when he was having to correct them again, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. That's what parents do to children. Right, parents? They warn their kids. They warn them. They don't don't control them, especially when they kind of start coming into adulthood, but they warn them. We warn our friends. We warn our loved ones. That's not a good idea. That's a wrong direction, etc., So the Apostle Paul says, As my beloved children, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. I'm your dad. We kind of, you know, I brought you into the faith. He was with them for 18 months when the church started. I I helped birth you into the faith. You know me, I know you. Why suddenly am I suspect? Why suddenly am I discredited with you? It didn't make sense but they had been listening to the wrong voices, following the wrong ideas. As their father, he was willing to discipline them, and he knew he had the right to do that. That's what dads do, right, dads? We used to use Mr. Spoon on occasion. Apply the Board of Education to the seat of understanding, right? That's what parents do. They correct their children if they need to discipline them they discipline them. I've, I've talked about some of our grandchildren. You know, the, the discipline needs to be appropriate to the, to, the, to the child. And so for some of them, they get five-second timeout with their nose on the wall. And that, that seems like an eternity when you're three. But I'll stand with them and go, okay, take a deep breath. We're going to count to five. Poppy, poppy, that's my name, poppy. No, get that nose on the wall, nose on the wall. We're going to count to five. Now we're done. Oh, it's okay now. So, but that's what parents do. That's what, that's what grandparents do. That's what guardians do. They discipline their children. They watch out for them. Look what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Now some are puffed up, some of these other people, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. There are some contradicting the truth. When I get there, we'll have a little bit of a showdown. We'll have a little bit of a conversation. We'll see how powerful their lives are and how powerful their truths are. He says this, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Anybody can say anything, but where's the power of a godly life, he's saying. He goes on to say, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? I'd rather come, give you a hug, pinch you on the cheek, Tell you you've been wrong and have you just say, you know what, Paul, you're right, we've been wrong, you're our spiritual dad and so on. And okay, good, let's, now that we're past all that, let's get on to just living together. Or I can come this way and get you in a headlock and do this. We could have it either way, but I love you so much that I'm not going to just stand here and let you do these things that are damaging to your life and damaging to other people's lives. I can't do that, I'm your dad. Being a parent is pretty tough at times, right, parents and grandparents? It's not easy. It's not easy. Because this child that you love so much, as you discipline them, as we should, you also now run the risk of them rejecting you. And that, that is painful to a parent. You're doing the right thing, and they don't appreciate that you're doing the right thing. And sometimes we can err as parents or as grandparents or as pastors or leaders or speaking into somebody's life. I love them too much. I don't want to hurt them. No, they need to get hurt. You need to speak that word to them. They need to repent. They need to understand they're doing something wrong and, and, and just foolish. And when we say that, I don't want to, you know, and I struggle with this too, guys, with people, with family members, friends. I struggle with it too. Sometimes like, boy, if I say that, they're just going to go the opposite direction and I don't want them to go the opposite direction. So sometimes we can kind of Save ourselves the pain. We're really not doing anybody a favor. We really need to be walking in the Spirit in those moments, don't we? Because if we're saving ourselves the pain of their possible departure, we're really not loving them as we should. That's a tough one. It takes a lot of maturity on our parts to love people that way. In the church, families, friends, the whole thing. So Paul is using some language here. Look at verse 2. I'm jealous for you. So there is such a thing as godly jealousy. Actually, you know, if you don't have some godly jealousy, you're probably falling short in some way. The people that you love, you should have a godly jealousy for their well-being. It's not an envy that you wish you had what they had. It's that you want them to not be deceived and you're jealous for their life to be close to Jesus. And so he says in verse 2, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He presents this relationship that we have with Jesus as an engagement which is going to lead to a marriage, and a, if you will, a consummation of the marriage. And right now, every Christian in the room, we are engaged to Christ. Christ. He's given us the dowry, the down payment. He's given us, if you will, the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit. But when is that going to be finalized? When we go to heaven and when we're with him. Until then, we're engaged and we're his. And in the Jewish culture, engagement was as binding as marriage was. That's why there was such a problem in the Gospels when Mary was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, the virgin birth. Joseph was like, boy, you've you've basically cheated on me. Not just as a girlfriend, but as a betrothed wife. And so it was a very, very serious thing. So imagine a dad approving of a man. This guy comes and says, I'd like to marry your daughter and, uh, you know, look him over and make him jump through rings of fire and all those kinds of things. And then he kind of earns that that right to marry the daughter and the daughter's ready and the, the dad's counseling them and everything and they're engaged and they're waiting for the marriage and then she starts looking around. The dad's like, what are you doing? This is the one that you've given your heart to. This is the one, you're wearing the ring that he gave. What are you doing? And this, spiritually speaking, was what the Corinthians were doing. Paul says, I've betrothed you to Christ. You're going to be with him. The the, the fullness of the relationship is going to be finalized. The the spiritual consummation and the, the presence together with him. Why are you flirting around with other gospels? Why are you flirting around with other Jesuses? Why are you doing that? And so he, we we say it often, guys, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It is a relationship. It's a religion that's built on a relationship. But we have a relationship with Christ. If you're a Christian, you have a relationship with Jesus. I think God gave me some incredible insight a couple weeks ago. It happens once in a while, so I'm going to share it with you. I just thought, you know, we are the bride of Christ. We, we, we are betrothed to him corporately and individually. And I just thought, you know what? Jesus doesn't have any flings. He doesn't have any girlfriends on the side. He only has the bride that he's waiting to be joined to. That's all. And yet, unfortunately, we can kind of flirt around a little bit. And that's what the Corinthians were doing because people were leading them into that. And they were giving into it and being succumbed to it. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul had a great deal of fear for them. I fear, he says, I'm, I'm afraid for what's going to happen to you. Lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I'm so glad that word is there. Simplicity, purity. For if he, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, guys, there, there are other Jesuses being preached. Do you know, do you know that? There are. There are other Jesuses being preached. If he comes preaching another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, that's still true today. You can be influenced by demonic spirits, ungodly spirits. Or if you receive a different gospel, you may well put up with it. Paul wasn't sure that they would keep their vows to Christ. He wasn't sure. He was afraid for them. And he uses that, that uh, analogy and that illustration of eve in the garden of eden we read look at your notes here in genesis chapter 2 verse 16 and the lord god commanded the man this is when only adam and eve were in the garden of eden beginning of the human race and god said everything here is for you farm the land be fruitful and multiply this is all for you there's only one prohibition only one thing that I don't want you to do. There's a tree and it's called the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from that tree, that day death will start working in you. Spiritual and physical death. I believe that before they ate from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't know what it was to feel bad. They hadn't sinned. You know that feeling you get when you sin? That shame? They never felt that. Imagine living that way. And that was God's intention for them. I don't want you to feel shame and and sorrow, and all that from disobedience. It's only one thing. Look at, the, look at the notes. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. In the Hebrew, literally dying, you shall surely die. Death started right then for mankind. And it's been passed on. We are all you know, sons of, uh, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. And so that's why we get sick. That's why there's cancer. That's why there's all these illnesses and all the things that we struggle with as humans. But Satan comes along in the garden, and I just quoted here three things that he said to Eve. He questioned God's word. He said, and you can look this up yourself in that passage, did God really say this? Are you sure you heard him correctly? And then he also denied God's word. He says, Eve, you're not going to die. You shall surely not die. In other words, God's lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. And he substituted his own words for God words. He says, you shall be as gods. And so it says that Eve looked at the fruit. It looked good. It looked wonderful. She took a bite. The sin came. She gave it to her husband. He ate. The sin came. And the next thing we see in the Garden of Eden is that they're separating from God. And this is, this is the, the thing that the Apostle Paul was afraid of, that the Corinthians guys are going to start believing lies and what's the result? Same as Adam and Eve. They're separated from God. Guys, can I just tell you, the pastoral staff, we love you guys. And sometimes we have to say hard things to you and it's not fun. Sometimes we have to, you know, somebody will be going, I'm, just, I'm not thinking of anyone in the room. It's all the people that aren't here today. No, it's not them either. Because then they're going to watch on TV and say, oh, he's talking about me. I'm thinking about another universe somewhere. Okay? I'm just saying, you know, we'll hear about, oh, you're excited about this teacher or that teacher or reading this book. And, you know, we find it, we try to find a way to gently say, you know, have you considered that maybe they're saying this, this, and this, and this, and it doesn't really match up with the word of God. And I'm afraid for you. It's not just like, oh, I might get my feelings hurt because you might leave our, you might leave Cornerstone and go to the XYZ church. It's not about that. It's that if you go to the XYZ church, they're, they're serving Kool-Aid that has a little bit of poison in it. And we're afraid for you. I know, but this person is so funny and they make me laugh. And when they I go to the conferences and it's just, oh, it's just so cool. I just feel so, I feel so good. Yeah, but what they're saying isn't true. So shall we do it like this, talk like this, or do I have to get you in a headlock and do this? And that's what pastors have to do. And that's what parents have to do. And that's what friends have to do. Paul says, I'm afraid for you. Because what happened to Adam and Eve, they were away from God because of sin. That's going to happen to you. So I'm just saying, (laughs) that's part of the pastoral job, quite frankly, that I don't enjoy. Just being honest with you guys. I'll tell you what I really do like, what I really love, actually. Actually, When you guys come and share with me or Pastor Vince or Pastor Rob or whoever else is a spiritual leader in your life or my wife, some of the ladies come talk to Debbie and they say, you know, what do you think about this? And there's such a humility there and you're trusting that we're on your side. And we're not going to take control of your mind, but we're just going to point you back to the Word and say, thank you for trusting me with this judgment. Thank you that... That you would come and not be afraid to share with me. You're reading this book. And now door—now you've opened the door and we can speak into your life and not feel like there's going to be this conflict because none of us like conflict at all. We're a bunch of non-fighters here, okay? But we'll fight if we have to. And sometimes we do. We do it in a back room. There's a, back, there's a room behind this wall that you don't know about. We do, that's, it's soundproof. Things happen there. We'll fight if we have to. But it's so wonderful when the body of Christ comes to us. And it's not that we have all the answers, and we'll just we'll just share with you. I don't I don't think that's God's way. But 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 well, you know, we don't have dominion over your faith. But that's not God's way. Well, why are you trying to control me? I'm not trying to control you. I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you. And that's how we feel with our friends, don't we? You guys know? Some of our friends? We're, we, we've been afraid for them they're going in the wrong direction. Some, now some of them are, have drifted, seemingly drifted off the path and not walking with Jesus at all. These are hard things, but they're necessary things, and that's what Paul was doing here. He's, he's battling for them. I'm going to ask you to turn. This is going to be the only departure from 2 Corinthians, but could you turn over to, to Galatians chapter 1? It's just a couple of pages to the right. I'm just going to read it. It doesn't really need much commentary, but I just want you to have these things in your minds. Guys, the spiritual life isn't about being nice to people. I mean, that's not the primary thing. And it isn't about coming to church and being entertained or making sure someone didn't take your parking spot or those kinds of things. It's about truth. It's about walking in the truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. Strong words. They speak for themselves. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what, what you have received, let him be accursed. Anathema in the Greek, a, a, a more clear, blunt translation is this. Are you ready? Let him be damned to hell forever. That's what it means. Accursed is a nice way. Saying it, Let him be damned to hell. If he's going to teach you something that's going to send you to hell, let them be damned to hell. I can say those words because I'm not cussing here. This is biblical language. This is what the, the, the first century readers understood Paul to say. He was afraid for the Galatians because they were so susceptible. They were driven by their emotions. The Corinthians, we can turn back. The Corinthians, driven by their emotions... Paul says, I'm afraid for you. We can turn our page over on our notes. Guys, you know, it's just, it's just hard and heavy stuff. This is the doctor telling the three-pack you know, three smoker, you better quit or else you're going to be dead in two months. This is, this is the, the doctor telling the, the alcoholic, you better quit drinking now and you might live. This, this is, you know, this is, uh, the, the judge telling uh, the, the, the guy that does breaking and entering, one more time and you're going away for life. That, this is that conversation. And those kinds of warnings are necessary in life for some people. And for the Corinthians, they needed to hear this stuff. Look at verse 5. Here's where he has to kind of defend himself. It's just sad that a dad has to do this with his kids. It's just really, really sad. It's sad that we ever have to do it with with people that we have loved and poured our lives out for, and sought to help and served, and you know all those the things that you guys do, the things that we all try to do, uh, when suddenly they just get an idea and they turn on on us. I'm just hope this doesn't sound like I'm complaining. I'm not complaining. It's just I didn't have a bad week, okay? It's It's not. It's just like this. These things happen. Look at verse five. I consider that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. And I'm sure if he said it, he would say, eminent? You know, they think they're eminent. I, I don't think I'm inferior to them. Why would he say that? Because that was the prevailing thought in Corinth. Oh, Paul, you're, you're, you know, you're good for an old guy, but these guys? Wow, they're, they're great speakers. They look good. They're funny. Oh, man, they make us laugh when we gather, when they teach us. Oh, gosh, it's better than the movies. It's just the greatest thing ever. Verse 6. Although, even though I am untrained in speech, why would he say that? Because that was their, one of their big selling points. They were good speakers. They are really good speakers. Guys, may I say this to you? There are some pastors in town that are really good speakers. And they're really bad teachers. They're really bad teachers. They're twisting the Word of God. I'm not going to name them because I don't, I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody. The people have left this church and I've asked them, please, could we pastor you into your next church? Because I wouldn't go to that church because that guy says this and he's promoting this and that and he's a great speaker and he's got letters after his name and he's very entertaining and very intelligent and very engaging to your soul, but he's lying. Or this other pastor over there that is giving you half of the gospel and they never talk about hell and they never talk about sin, but they just talk about how wonderful life can be and how great you can be. That's not the full message of God. And Paul was going through the same thing. I know there are better speakers than me. But but being a great speaker and engaging an audience and all of that doesn't mean you're telling the truth. Guys, and we cannot be people that live on emotions and entertainment. You cannot be. It's immature. It's childish. It's cotton candy. And a lot of people in Christendom are just... all they're eating is cotton candy and wondering why their marriages are falling apart or why there's no inner peace or any of these other things because all they want is cotton candy and coke. It's too hard to chew the meat. They kind of complain. So we don't need to go to the movies, we'll just go to church. (laughs) That's a great show. And there are some people that put on great shows. And I'm not against professionalism or doing things well or any of that, but boy, you better bring the truth or else I don't want to be there. I hope you guys feel the same. I think you probably do. Because you're not, you're, not you're not getting a show here. I'm not patting us on the back. Woe unto me if I don't preach the truth to you. Share the truth with you guys. Kick me out. Bring on the next guy. And if you ever go to another church, you better be Bereans and you better know God's word because it's up to you eventually. Especially if you've been a Christian for a while. You better know God's word. You need to read it. You need, you need to check on me to see if I'm saying the right thing. So Paul here is saying this because this was the case. Even though I'm untrained in speech. Yeah, I'm not a good speaker, he would say. I am not untrained in knowledge. Well, we have been, But we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. Paul's saying, you guys know our lives. Come on you saw us speak the truth, you saw us live the truth, you saw us share the truth. Everything was about Jesus and it was all according to God's word. We come on. This is this is silly. You, please bear with me a little folly. Here's your dad again having to prove that I'm your dad and I told you the truth. And we we can all be susceptible to these things. But this was this was the corner that he was backed into. His authority was clearly seen by everybody. In fact, Paul said in chapter 10, verse 1, look just chapter before, look there if you would. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. He wrote some strong letters, but when he got with them, he didn't start screaming. He just says, when I'm with you, I, I keep my voice down. I'm meek. And by the way, don't ever misinterpret meekness as weakness. Meekness is power under control. Honestly, guys, I'm just I gotta just say all this stuff. Um, I, there have been pastors that have left Napa, and I have thanked God because they were bad guys. They were bad men, and they were impressive, and they had really good cologne. And their hair was perfect, and everything, and they were bad pastors. And I'm glad they're gone, and I hope they never come back. And I'm, I'll say that to anybody, anywhere. I'll say it to their face if I needed to, because they weren't teaching the truth. There's guys that can come in, and, and Paul said in chapter ten, verse one, I, I, I was with you, I wasn't lording over, I didn't come in with a heavy hand. It's a phrase down in Mexico, mano duro, a hard hand. And a lot of the culture down in Mexico, when we go down there, the Mexican people, and I'm half Mexican, so I, I can say this about my raza, on the other side of my family. Okay, when they go, they want somebody to boss them around. They want a pope. You're not a leader unless you're telling people what to do and snapping your fingers and pointing and all that. They don't want to have to stop and think and pray and be led by the Spirit. They just want to be told what to do. So if you're a control freak, you can do pretty well in Mexico, but it doesn't mean that God's using you. It's just a human institution. There are people here as well that just want to be told what to do. Have a pastor that comes in and dominates the conversation and dominates the room. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. I'm pleading with you. He could have beat him over the head, but he didn't. He's reasoning with them, and that's what God wants to do. He wants to reason with us, pleading with you with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Jesus could have forced people to do things, but he didn't. When he comes back, he's coming back with a rod, but in his earthly ministry, pled with people. God is still pleading with people. And so his servants, we plead with people. We beg with them. We we reason with them. We talk with them. We just want to bring the truth and have their minds and hearts convinced. This is what the Apostle Paul was having to do. Where did I leave off? Verse 7, I think, right? Did I commit a sin in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you free of charge? in Corinth, Now, Paul had a right to collect some income. But in Corinth, for some reason, it was a bad idea. When he was there, biblically he had the right to, to receive support. But he, but he felt, and he wrote about this in a previous letter, that it would be better to not do that. It seems as though they are saying, well, the reason that he didn't receive support from you is because he's not not the real deal. If he was a real apostle of God, everybody knows we receive support. So they were having carnal judgment on the apostle Paul. So that was one carnal judgment. When I say use the word carnal, I mean fleshly, ungodly, unspiritual, and, and humanistic in its thinking. Human evaluation. So Paul... You're not a real authentic preacher of of Jesus Christ because you didn't insist that we pay you. Mm. It's my game show noise. Mm. Verse 8, I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. He's being sarcastic. The moment demands it. He's being sarcastic. He didn't rob anybody. Other churches supported him and he felt, you know, in Corinth, it's better if I don't receive anything. But they blamed him for it. Guys, check this out. How carnal can a person be? They blame you for being generous. What's up with that? You're generous. There must be something wrong. (laughs) That was their carnal thinking, their humanistic thinking. Verse 9 And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one, for what was lacking to me from the brethren came from Macedonia. The brethren who came from Macedonia, they supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you, so, and so I will keep myself. Well, Paul, you didn't make life hard for us, like the heavy-handed pastors do. It's probably because you're not authentic. Now, I want you to look at your notes. There's something really interesting to me. In the old King James Version, in verse 9, it says, We were chargeable to no one. This is really, really interesting, guys. Take this in. The Bible's amazing. Sometimes after the, the sermon, you guys say, Good sermon, Pastor Bill. It's a good Bible. It's a good Bible. I always love to say, yeah, the Bible's amazing, isn't it? I'm not going to pat myself on the back. Read it, study it. You'll discover things that will blow your mind. Now look at this. This is amazing. Paul says, I was chargeable to no one. The verb chargeable speaks of an electric eel that shocks its victim. Now follow the thinking. That victim, that, that part of the victim would become numb, useless, and a burden. If it got shocked in the leg, suddenly they're not walking so well. got shocked in the arms, suddenly the arm's hanging limp. Paul did not become a burden to them. The pastors here, oh, life's hard. Well, I guess that's what happens when pastors are here. They make life hard. Paul said, I didn't make life hard for you. I wasn't like a, 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 a heavy weight on your back. But they've been listening to the wrong voices, thinking the wrong things. Look at verses 10 to 12. As the truth of Christ is in me, No one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. That was the region that Corinth was in. Why? Because I do not love you. God knows. Now why would he say that? You don't love us. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I think Corinth was like the last church I would ever want to pastor. (laughs) They were a mess. You know, just just a, a carnal, sinful mess. Why would he say that? Because now they're thinking he doesn't love them too. Why? Are you, guys, you guys are smart, right? You, are you guys connecting the dots? Give me a showy pastor. Give me an entertaining pastor. Appeal to my senses when I come to church. And then tell me how much I have to give, and then boss me around and make me do things that I really don't want to do. But I just feel like I just feel better, uh, you know, when I do things that the pastor says because I've been guilty all week. So I'll just pay my penance. And we get into this religious system, and it's just crazy. What did Paul say? You're straying from the simplicity that's in Christ. I'm so blessed. I just want to give a high five to all the people that helped yesterday. They worked their hinder parts off yesterday. <laughs> Can I say that? <laughs> they worked so hard. You know why? Because they wanted to. It was beautiful. They wanted to serve. Guys showing up and sweating and crawling on concrete and putting a stage and moving stuff, straining, huffing They wanted to do it. We didn't have to shout out and bark orders at anybody. It was beautiful. God wants to move in our hearts, guys. God isn't here to entertain you or to give your soul a thrill or speak to your perceived needs. Your perceived needs are probably ill-perceived. How many of our, how many of our children, raise your hand. You might as well just raise it now because I'm going to be right. How many of our children actually thought they knew what they needed in life and they were wrong? I mean, that's just me too. I'll raise my, hand, my other hand for me. I thought I had my life mapped out at age 18. Are you kidding me? And the Apostle Paul is a dad to these guys. We don't want to be emotionally driven. We don't, we don't want to lean on entertainment. We don't want to have people boss us around. We need, to tell the, we need to study God's word. We need to tell the truth to one another. We need to seek truth. And we need to not listen to the wrong voices. And all of that is still happening today. Why do, why do some people rent arenas in the state of Texas and tens of thousands of people go to hear lies? These are not stupid people, but they're deceived people. And you don't want to be one of those guys. And the, the Bible is here to, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thy word, the psalmist says, is the lamp unto my feet. Why do you think about this? The, the, your word, Lord, is the lamp Okay, here's the, here's the visual, right? It's a lamp unto my feet. As I read the, God of Word, it sh- the Word of God, it shows me where I'm standing right now. And then it's a light to my path. It shows me where to go. Oh, I don't know what to do with my life, Pastor. Read God's Word. God knows what to do with your life. God knows what you should. Well, how do I find out? It's right here. Draw close to God and He'll draw close to you. Amen? We believe that? It, the Word of God shows you where you are and where you can go but not if you're like the Corinthians, because they were impressed with good speakers and all these other things. And then they judge their dad. Sad case. Let's finish the chapter. If you have any questions, fire them in. Well, fire is a little bit aggressive. Why don't you delicately submit them? Numbers on the screen. Look at what Paul says. Paul does not mince any words. For such are false apostles. That is so politically incorrect, <laughs> but it's so right. They're, they're liars. They're liars. False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. They're masquerading. It's the idea of somebody who's masquerading as somebody who represents Jesus, but they really don't. And no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into, into an angel of light. Satan, one of Satan's strategies, guys, is to be an imposter, to be a deceiver, to present his ways and his messages true when they're not true. A lot of you guys have heard this, but some of you have not, perhaps. How do do they train bank tellers in a bank to recognize a counterfeit bill? They let them handle the real thing. They touch them, they touch them, they touch them, they touch them. And then a counterfeit bill comes and they go doesn't feel right. How do they know? Because they're comparing it to the real thing. They're so familiar with the real thing that they can identify a false false counterfeit bill right away. That's how we, guys, that's how we safeguard our lives. That's how we safeguard our marriages and our families and our kids and grandkids and our friends and our businesses and our homes and our church. By handling the real thing regularly. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Don't be deceived. Finally, verse 15... Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose ends will be according to their works. He wanted to save them from these false teachers, he wanted to save them from these false apostles. But it was up to them, it was up to them to receive the truth as they had once received it, to return to the truth of God, to not be emotionally driven Christians. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, I'm in in the camp that thinks it's the Apostle Paul, but we really don't know. But whoever wrote the book of Hebrews told some of those Christians, by now you should be teachers, but we have to start over again with milk. By now you should be eating meat, but we have to start over again with milk because you haven't progressed. That could happen to any one of us, guys. This man right here, Pastor Bale, (laughs) I, 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 I need to read God's Word regularly. To be a healthy man, to be an emotionally healthy man, to be a psychologically healthy man, to walk in truth, to be warned against sin, to be reminded that when I want to beat myself up, that God is for me and not against me. To remember that God has a plan for my life. And when he's, done, when he's done with me, then he's going to take me home. Until then, he's going to use me. To remember that he's given me gifts and a calling. I need to read God's word. Because you know what? I get a, You wouldn't believe the conversations that go on in here. You don't even want to know. <laughs> I have about 90 minutes of sanity every week and you guys get it. The rest of the time, I'm It's like, man, fiery darts of the enemy, accusations, self-doubt. Doubts from within, doubts from within. All this stuff goes on, and you guys too, right? I mean, maybe you're not as crazy as me, but I can show you things, you know. And it's a fight. It's a fight regarding truth. That's why we have to read here, not swallow. You know, there's one more thing. Uh, the false apostles, the, the idea of masquerading, it's like a fish lure. It's shiny, and it looks like the real thing, and then you gobble it down, and they get the hook in you. And then you're on the barbecue. <laughs> we need to be able to discern. We're going to close with a song. We're going to have some of the leaders of the church up here to pray for you. We're going to take another five minutes. Ali can come, come on up. And if you need prayer for anything at all today, come and get some prayer. If perhaps, maybe, one of the struggles that you have is you know what? I'm gullible. And I don't want to be gullible anymore. That's a good prayer to pray. Lord, teach me to discern your right from wrong. Truth truth from darkness. But if you need preference, could those leaders come forward right now and Tim, Keplin, can you come on up and guys, could you come on down and just stand up right up here and Oh questions? I always forget to do that, I'm so sorry. Was there life other human? no, there were no other humans outside the garden according to the Bible? Good question. Who was the serpent in the garden who lied to Eve? Satan. Yes, Satan. That's what the Bible tells us.